Hey, this is Brandon Emma Richardson, and we are the pastors here at Slate Church based in Waterloo, Ontario, and this is our Sunday podcast. We really hope this message inspires you to lean into all that God has for you. If you would like to get connected with us, follow us on social media or go to slatechurch.com. And hey, it helps us a lot if you would rate, review, subscribe, and share this podcast. Join us for today's message. My name is Peter Mullen, and I was part of the Slate Church launch team in 2017. There is one person that I think about in my life that did exemplify the Great Commission, but it's in a really um, non-standard way. And I think that person is my father. Um, He instilled in me at a young age this idea of um, building the church uh, and and serving and and pushing through and supporting the church when it's hard. So this idea of of the Great Commission is, I think it's about building uh, the body of believers of of the church uh, and just welcoming, as soon as someone shows interest and if they're gonna show up, is welcoming them in and helping them become part of the family and integrate um, and sticking it out when it's hard. Um, Because you don't know what you're gonna learn when you're sticking it out and you don't know who's gonna be on the other side of you sticking it out and helping build a really fantastic um, place for people to land and meet God. I think what motivates me to live out the Great Commission is this deep feeling inside of me that if someone is going to um, put the effort into to showing up at, at something um, that I'm a part of, like a church event or stepping into my life, um, it's kind of the onus is on me to close that gap and help them um, take their next step. Uh, if that's um, if that's one step closer to just learning about God, or one step closer to getting involved in a team, or one step closer to joining a local, or one step closer to just meeting one other person at church, or just coming to church again, I feel like what motivates me is that you don't know what is on the other side of that relationship that you're going to have with that person. You never know who they're going to become, or who, who God's, what God's going to use them for, or who they're going to then influence and impact. What motivates me is, is this idea of every person counts that you are becoming friends with and interacting. Even today, my wife and I were walking down the street and, and, and we, we met three different neighbors. Um, and we just intentionally did it because you never know what's going to be on the other side of that friendship that you're cultivating, that the, the, what they're going to go through that you can help them with, or what you're going to help them with that they're going to help somebody else with. One way that I really want to encourage everyone to live out the Great Commission is that if you feel at home at Slate Church, if you see someone that you do not know, I really want to encourage you to say hi. Welcome them to the church. They may have been going to the church 10 times as longer than you, but if you say hi, I've never met you before. My name's enter your name, but I would say, my name is Peter, and, I, and I've never met you before. Like, have you been coming to Slate for very long? Or how long have you been coming to Slate Church for? And just start that conversation. It, you never know who you're going to meet and who you're going to talk to. I, I've, I've met, I met Ben when he came for the first time. I met Candace when they came for the first time. I met Nate when, they came, when he came for the first time. It, you never know who this person's going to become or, what, or who they're going to be or, or what, where, where that's going to go. And I really want to encourage every single person, if you're on team, if you're just attending, this is your first time, meet people. Uh, get to know them and welcome them into the community. Because when they land, when they, when they land and find, find a place and find comfort, then it's way easier for, for the, their barriers to drop and it lets God in. Um, and I think that that's what motivates me is to see Um, is to see people um, take their next step toward what God has for them and being a part of that and seeing lives change around me. We, uh, we had a leadership call a little while ago, and we were talking to like a bunch of the people who are volunteers who are leading in significant ways and are, are, are a big part of this community here at Slate. 
we asked, we we're trying to figure out, like, how do people get connected here? Like, how does this happen? And we kept hearing this common theme in a lot of those stories. And so we finally just asked the question, we're like, hey, like, how many people on this call, like, had Peter Mullen play a significant role in you getting connected here at church? And like 90% of the hands went up on the call. And it was such a cool thing. And so we decided we're going to call this the Peter Principle, which apparently is already a thing in business or something. But this is our Peter Principle, which is that it takes people to get people connected. It takes each of us saying like, hey, my life has been transformed by being connected, by being a part of this community, by serving on a team, by being in a local. Like I have found a place I've been, I've been known, I'm being discipled, I'm growing closer to Jesus here. Like I can't just hold on to that gift for myself, but I need to actually be bold in inviting others and connecting others and building relationship with others and asking them to join me. Peter is a legend at this. Um, there are so many stories of people that he bullied to join a local uh, just by finding them in the lobby and being like, no, you're going to do this. You should just do it. And then it turned out to be a great thing for their life. Um, but if you're here today and you're new and you're like, man, I don't know, getting connected, it sounds a little scary. Maybe I need a Peter to come up to me. Hopefully you'll have a Peter. You'll have somebody come up to you today who's involved here, who wants to, to invite you into more. But we also want to make it really, really easy for you to get connected. Uh, really easy for you to take your next step to see how uh, you can actually be a full part of what we're doing here at Slate Church and, and find that place and that purpose. And so we're doing something called Growth Track right now. And Growth Track is just this opportunity for you to learn more about our church and your place in it. And we're starting off today with a meet the pastors party. Uh, so you know what? It's not Peter bullying you in the lobby. Uh, it's a little more chill. There's going to be donuts. Pastors Brandon and Emma are going to be there, some other folks. And this is basically just an opportunity today to meet some of the leadership here at Slate Church, to hear a little bit of our story as a church, uh, to hear a little bit about how we're run and, and what we're doing here, why we exist. Uh, and so that you can start to learn how you fit into that. So if you're here today and you're like, yeah, I've been coming for a while and I have some community or maybe I'm in a local but not a team or maybe I'm on a team but not in a local or maybe you know I've been regularly attending but I haven't taken that next step. Maybe it's your first time. If that's you today and you want to learn a little bit more, you want a chance just to meet some of the leadership here and see how you can be involved, we would love to have you join us at Growth Track today after service. So right after service, head to the orange table. It'll be about 20 minutes. Without any further ado, we are going to go into the message today. I'm really excited. We have one of our incredible lead pastors, Pastor Emma, bringing the next message in our No One Else Is Coming series. So we're going to play a quick video, and then she is going to share that with us.
someone else is coming. Good morning, everyone. No one else is coming. I love that video so much. You'd think it was like completely professionally done, and really it was, but by our team, which is really cool uh, to see and to have that. How are you doing this morning, Slate Church? You doing all right? It's always funny, especially in the 9 a.m., the, the um, 10, 15 doesn't really have this opportunity, but the 9 a.m. always like leans heavy on this side. People don't want to walk all the way across the, the, the row. We've got some brave people over here who took their themselves all the way across, but usually it's like, oh, I'm like five in. I'm just going to sit here, and, uh, and we can see it. it. It's good, but that's my perspective, uh, uh, not yours on that. No one else is coming. This is an idea that we're talking about in this series, and really it kind of pairs down to this thought that nobody else is coming to reach the people in your life. Nobody else is coming to reach the people with the good news of Jesus in your life, in your influence. And Jesus actually already set forward this idea of the church. This is his plan that we would step forward in that and that no one else is coming. There's not another plan happening. We actually get to be a part of that. So we're going to keep talking about that this morning. And uh, we're going to read out of Acts chapter 4, starting in verse 23. But I want to set this up a little bit for you. Um, Acts was written by a guy named Luke. And basically, it records the start of this early church movement. We see Jesus ascending into heaven. He says, all right, go. um, Let people know about me. Let people know about what is happening. And we see all of a sudden this, this movement start taking place, the church starting to be formed, church plants happening, and it's like this story of what that looks like. So when we find ourselves in Acts chapter 4, in verse 23, what's happening is Peter and John have just healed a crippled man. Now, this is a big deal. If you were walking around and you saw someone who could not walk, who were crippled in their legs, and all of a sudden they could walk, I think we would all be pretty freaked out a little bit. Like, what is going on here? What is happening here? And they're saying this was done in the name of Jesus. That is the power that we have in us that we are, we are doing this out of. Well, they get arrested, and the high priest and the family members of the high priest um, basically question them. They have them in prison. They're, they're like, what can we do about this? This needs to stop. They're threatening them. And uh, at the end of the day, they really had no grounds to hold them with. They had no ability to keep them imprisoned, and so they released them. And Peter and John go back to the believers, and this is the account of what happens there. It says in verse 23, on their release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. When they heard this, the people raised their voices together in prayer to God. Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. And then they quote a psalm here. Why do the nations rage and the people plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed one. They're looking at the prophetic nature of that that was, spo- that was written so long ago. And they're saying that it's actually coming to pass here. 
Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken and they, are fi- they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. Why don't we pray this morning, then we're going to jump in here. Jesus, I thank you that we get to explore and look at your word and learn from it. Holy Spirit, I just pray that you would meet us here today, that you would speak through me, that you would open our hearts to hear what you have to say, and that we would go out of here with boldness. We pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. Well, if I can take you back to uh, the spring of 2019, all right, pre-COVID, pre-all of these things, in the spring of 2019, one, on one particular day, I found myself, I had just had our third baby in three years, in less than three years, and uh, I had Claire, she was a newborn baby, I had Kenzie, she was two, Theo was just one year old, and I remember on one of these days early in the spring of 2019, after Brandon had taken a little bit of time off and was headed back to work and and he had to go and do that. And all of a sudden I found myself at home with these three little kids uh, completely overwhelmed. And I remember one morning standing at the bay window, and it sounds dramatic now uh, in, in hindsight as I'm talking about it, but standing at the bay window, and we were kind of up a little bit in a raised bungalow at the time so I could see down into our driveway. And I, I remember vividly hearing uh, the diesel engine of our old Jetta silver wagon start up in the driveway, and Brandon backed out, and I watched him drive away, and I was completely overwhelmed. And the thought popped into my head for the first time, really, no one else is coming. That was the exact phrase that all of a sudden I thought in this moment of emotion, this moment of how in the world am I going to take care of these kids? I am outnumbered here. I am not going to be able to do this. No one else is coming. It's a phrase that I had to wrestle with during that postpartum season. and, And this idea would keep coming up for me So as you can imagine, when I heard that this was the phrase, this was the title of our sermon series, No One Else Is Coming, I actually felt that sense of of weightiness, even just with hearing the phrase being talked about, no one else is coming. And you know, whether it's a stage of parenting, whether it's a university course, whether it's a, a situation at work, maybe a dependent family member. We've probably all found ourselves in situations, whether that phrase was used exactly or just the feeling was involved, where we felt like no one else is coming, and I don't know if I can do this. I don't know if I can actually handle this. Maybe it brings on a feeling of dread, a feeling of weightiness, a feeling of stress or anxiety. No one else is coming, but I really wish that they were. Can't someone else do this? Can't someone take this from me? Maybe I could just delegate this to someone else. Isn't that some, uh, you know, approved form of leadership? So I'll just delegate this and then I'll feel better about that. But you know what? Here's the problem with this narrative and this feeling is that it's actually not God-given. 
When we hear this phrase, no one else is coming, we can think of lots of contexts of life, but we can also look at it when it comes to the church and moving forward the mission of God and moving forward this message of Jesus that he came, died, rose again for our salvation, and we actually get to walk and live and journey with him. This idea is not God-given, and yet sometimes we make excuses for it to be able to hold on to it a little bit. This dread, this weightiness, this anxiety. You know, oftentimes when we feel anxious in our lives or we feel this weightiness, we kind of step into these, what I would call defense mechanisms. We've all heard of this idea before. These defenses that we put out in order to relieve the negative feeling from us. And maybe even for you, as you're hearing this phrase, no one else is coming, as this sermon series, you're like, okay, that sounds great. That's good. But then in practicality, Every time we explain it, every time we describe, hey, we've actually got to, we've got to go and do this thing as a church, you're like, yeah, yeah, that's great. But then you get into this place of rationalization in order, to, uh, ta- in, in order to figure out the incongruence between not actually doing that and wanting to do that. And you go, oh, you know, there's lots of people who are going to do that at church. There's lots of pastors there that can do that. There's lots of volunteers who have been there longer. There's lots of people. I'm new here. I'm not sure if I can actually do that. We rationalize in order to relieve that weighty feeling of I actually ought to be doing this. We get into a place of maybe being a little bit avoidant of, okay, I'm just going to avoid that. I'm not going to think about that too much. Maybe you're sitting here, you're already thinking about lunch and what you've got going on later today because it kind of creates this feeling of this tension of, oh, how do I do that? Why am I not doing that? Maybe that feels a little weighty and a little heavy for you today. But this feeling is not God-given because if we're taking that perspective that we need to somehow figure this out and do this in our own strength, you're looking in the wrong places. In John 15, Jesus is speaking, and he says, if the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. That's always helpful for me. I'm like, okay, if I put something out there, if I say something, and it it is rooted in God's word, and I get hate back, that's okay. They hated Jesus first. And later on, he says, uh, in that same chapter in verse 26, he says, when the advocate comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. And you must also testify if you have been, since you have been with me from the beginning. In Romans 8, 26, it says, In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. In Acts 1 verse 8, it says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, as Jesus speaks to his disciples here. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. John 16, bouncing back to when Jesus was here walking with the people. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. Man, a lot of us would like to argue with that. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. You see, I think for a lot of us, we take on this burden that somehow in this idea that no one else is coming, okay, I just got to take this on then. I'm just going to take responsibility. I'm just going to do it in my own strength. I'm going to go out and I'm going to care for people. I'm going to be like Peter. I'm going to talk to people in the lobby after. I'm going to do these things. 
in my own strength. And then we grow weary and we grow tired and we grow busy and we grow distracted and we grow maybe a little frustrated with that and we grow avoidant and we start to rationalize and we sit back and we're... And it becomes this bit of a spiral because we are not being called or asked to just motivate ourselves in order to act. We actually have a helper, an advocate, the Holy Spirit to work in us. We need to recognize that no one else is coming because Jesus has actually already given us all that we need to do what he has called us to do. He has given us the Holy Spirit. So this statement this morning really isn't meant to elicit like fear, worry, weightiness, or avoidance. It's to allow us to to remember that we have the power of the Holy Spirit in us. Okay, so what can we learn from these believers that are part of the early church? So this passage that we read earlier, they've come, uh, Peter and John have come, and these believers respond to what is happening. And I think that if we actually look at this as an example of how we can respond and how we can behave, it's going to help us in our orientation of how we actually walk out this idea that no one else is coming. So the first thing is this. They declare who God is. That's the first thing they do. That is often the last thing that I do. I'm like, okay, God, I've got a list of things here that I would like your help with. And at the very end, I'm like, oh, by the way, you are good. I'm just going to remind myself of that, that maybe like God actually could do this. But in their overwhelm, in their state that could be really penetrated with fear, they first declare who God is, sovereign God. They are ascribing that he is in control. In verse 24, it says, when they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer, sovereign Lord, they said. And basically, they say, you made everything in the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. Listen, God, you are in control. No matter what situation you find yourself in, it's really important that we ascribe to God his worth because what it does is in our minds, it reminds us that we don't have to have it all figured out. It takes God from being at this equal playing field with us where we're just kind of, hey, by the way, if you have time, would you look at this? Would you think to actually saying God is fully in control and I don't have to carry this. I don't have to worry about this. I don't have to hold on to this and just figure it out in my own self-determination. God is sovereign. He is good. He's going to work. He is all-powerful. And he oversees all of this. We just get to be a part of it. That's good news for us. But they first declare who God is. The second thing they do is that they prayed for boldness. Man, these people were suffering. Sometimes I think that we feel like we know suffering like no other generation before us has because of the situations we face and the difficulties and all. And it's not about comparison, but it is about awareness. These people were suffering. Leaders amongst them, Peter and John, were just in prison, arrested. And we get the benefit of hindsight to know, yeah, they were questioned and let out. It was okay. In the moment, they did not know that was what was going to happen. And they faced worse things to come. This was a a time filled with turmoil, uncertainty, unrest. And yet even in that, they prayed for boldness. I think all of us today would not have judged them or thought poorly of these people if they would have said, take this from us, judge our oppressors, send help. But no, they're praying, give us boldness to speak and act against our our oppressors and keep moving, God. Stretch out your hand. 
You know, I love that one commentator notes this. He says about these people, their concern was for God's word to go forth and Christ's name to be glorified. In effect, for the church's witness, while leaving to God their own circumstances. I think we often flip this in reverse. We elevate our own circumstances and say, okay, God, like, this is what's going on. This is what's happening. It doesn't mean we can't bring our challenges, our problems, our issues, our prayer requests to God. But sometimes we focus so much on that that we forget the mission that God put us here on. God did not say, you will not suffer. So just pray to never, ever suffer. Just pray to have everything taken away. They're saying, God, you're, you're going to take care of that. You're going to take care of my circumstances. You're going to work that out. But we are going to pray for boldness because we are focused on moving the name of Jesus Christ forward. I wonder what would happen if we started to pray this way in our quiet times, in our churches, to say we actually want to see a move of you, Jesus. We want to see people's lives changed. We want to see people come to know you. And I'm going to trust that you're going to take care of my circumstances and my situation along the way. But we're going to pray for boldness to focus in on your mission here. And the third thing that we see happen at this point is that they were filled with the Holy Spirit. So the whole place is shaken. And we can hear some from the movie next door. I'm telling you, it's the movie next door. But it could happen here today. The whole place is shaken and they are filled up once again with the Holy Spirit. And this is always an area, you know, if you're, if you're interested in theology, if you are aware of different denominations, different church beliefs and stuff like that, people often get caught up with the Holy Spirit, right? There's a lot of different viewpoints and a lot of different ideas, and we have one end of, of maybe a, a spectrum here, if I, if I can put it that way, where there almost becomes like a two-tier system of Christianity of like, yeah, you're a Christian, but once you get, uh, once, once the Holy Spirit comes out, then, then you've kind of leveled up into the big leagues, then there's maybe the other side where it's going, ah, the Holy Spirit, I don't know what to do with that. There's maybe emotion involved there. So we're just going to kind of set the Holy Spirit to the side and focus on the Bible and have it be God the Father, God the Son, and God the Bible. And we're just going to kind of go there. And I don't want to pit those ideas against. There's lots of things in between. But sometimes we lose the power and the asking for the Holy Spirit to fill us because we get so caught up in semantics around this understanding of it. And there's a place for those conversations but don't let it be at the expense of asking the Holy Spirit to fill you often and fill you daily. You know, this idea, sometimes we can get a little stuck of like, what are you talking about? You know, when I become a Christian, I get, uh, I fully am filled with the Holy Spirit. I'm part of the body of Christ. Am I not? So if I'm filled, if I'm already full, I can't get more full. So how does this actually work? How does it? But if you think of it as like a glass of water that's full and how do I fill it more, you're kind of using the wrong image here. You're kind of creating just a, a set mindset in that. It's actually better probably to think of, of a balloon when it comes to the filling of the Holy Spirit. And there's probably ways that this metaphor breaks down as well. But if you blow into a balloon and I just had it like a little bit full, you would say, yeah, that's full of air. It's full of air. But as you blow more, the balloon expands further and it becomes more full. This is maybe a, a more helpful idea of the Holy Spirit. That as we look to Jesus, as we ask for more filling of the Holy Spirit, as we grow in our habits of Christianity and these sorts of things, we are going to grow and expand and the Holy Spirit will continue to fill us up. And this is what we see happening here. 
And we know that back in verse 8, Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit, and yet he's with these, uh, these believers at this time too, and he is filled again, right? There's an expansion happening place. And we, we need to understand as believers that we have the Holy Spirit living inside of us. Romans 8, 11, the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. So when you submit yourself to Jesus, make him Lord of, Lord of your life, you are filled fully. But we can continue to receive an infilling of the Holy Spirit to empower us to go out, speak boldly, and work in this way. We need to receive more of the Holy Spirit, church. This is an important piece here. But let's not lose the last part. Because sometimes we can get so focused, yeah, I want to do that, I want to, that sounds great, I'm just going to worship, I'm just going to be filled up. The fourth thing is that they act. As we are filled, there's a call to action. These believers continue to speak the word of God with boldness. There's risk involved, but they speak with boldness. Not in their own strength, but with the power of the Holy Spirit. You see, the idea that no one else is coming is not meant to isolate us but rather for us to turn our orientation towards God and allow this to be our reality, it, allow it to ground us. See, you are not alone in sharing this good news of Jesus, but, but you are responsible for your part. We can't just put that off on everybody else. You're actually responsible here. You know, about six weeks after Claire was born, so if you can fast forward a little further into the spring-summer of 2019, I, I flew out to Vancouver for a conference. And just as a side note, I always think it's funny because, you know, that can look so like, wow, she's flying out to Vancouver with a six-week-old baby. Isn't that crazy? And, and uh, you know, you see that and you have that narrative. There's always more to the story. So just if you're struggling with, you know, people looking amazing on social media, just remind yourself that, that there's always more to the story. Um, I was overwhelmed. I was likely dealing with postpartum depression. I was just feeling uh, under this mindset that I had to carry this burden of motherhood. And I arrived at the conference literally just happy that I only had one child to, to focus on and have to take care of at that time. And I remember just standing at the back of the auditorium. There were all these pastors, all these leaders there worshiping. And I was at the back with Claire in the um, baby seat or in the carrier. And she lived in that carrier like 12 hours a day, it felt like. And... Uh, I remember the band came up at the end of one of the sessions and sang a song that we are familiar with here. I won't sing it. Um, I will spare you that. But it, it basically says the lyrics like, I, I may look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. And just declares, this is how I fight my battles. And it kind of does this over and over again. And in that moment, I, I just surrendered to God. I received an, a, an infilling a further empowerment of the Holy Spirit as I stood there by myself just worshiping God. And he really did. That night I was changed. I came back a different person. I came back um, focused that I didn't have to carry this burden myself, that, that the Holy Spirit could empower me and all of these things. I was reliant on the Holy Spirit. And listen, I have an amazing community around me. I have, like, the best husband. I have great friends. I have amazing parents and in-laws. And I have a lot of support around me. But the reality is that no one else is coming to mother my children. They're not. No one else is coming to reach your family. No one else is coming to reach your friends. No one else is coming to your neighbors, your community, your in-laws, your coworkers, your children, your parents. Nobody else is, is coming because that's the place that God has placed you in 
at this time for this purpose. You know, we, you know, we, we need to repent. We need to ascribe to God his worth. And then in boldness, ask the spirit to move through us. You know, I wonder what would happen if the body of Christ started functioning together in this. Like, you are a vital part of this. Not just the person beside you, not just the person that's been a Christian for 20 years, not just the person that's a new Christian. All of us in this room are actually a vital part of this, but you don't have to carry the weight of that, this because the Holy Spirit lifts it and makes it light for us. In Hebrews 12, and the band can come back up, it says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Fixing our eyes on Jesus. What's the race marked out for us? See, our calling as believers is to love people, and not just in a social justice sense. That's great. We're going to serve people. We're going to love people. We are going to meet people's needs practically. We have serve day coming up. We're going to do that. But we also need to love people and not, not minimize or avoid or be ashamed of or be hesitant with the message of Jesus Christ. Because without that, we have no hope. We might have a raked lawn, but we don't have hope. These things are important. These things are significant. And they can be built over time and in relationship and all of that. But if you don't have the hope of Jesus Christ, you really are left hopeless. And so as Christians, we can't just feel good about doing things that love people in a social justice sense and miss out on this message of Jesus, thinking that somehow that would be offensive or unhelpful or push people away or any of these things. And again, if that makes you nervous, it's the power of the Holy Spirit in us that enables us, that works through us, that that helps us, that advocates, that comes along the way. See, no one else is coming to give this world the message of Jesus. That's the church's job. That's our job as the body of Christ. It's going to feel countercultural. It's going to take boldness. But if not us, who? And if not now, when? See, in this, we need to see the need and turn to God in it. So listen, we're going to take a few minutes here at the end. We're going to take a couple of minutes just to sing and worship. And really stop and ask the Holy Spirit to, to fill us more, to fill us anew, to have a new empowerment coming out of here. Not just to be energized and hyped up, but just a steadiness, an orientation toward God, a release of that burden maybe that you've been feeling, and a responsibility, just allowing that responsibility to set in. So why don't we stand in this place every eye closed and head bowed just for privacy I'm gonna first before we go into singing and just giving ourselves some space for that I just want to take a minute and if you have come into this place and you have not made Jesus Lord of your life if you have not said yeah I believe that Jesus is who he said he is he died he rose again I can actually have hope in him maybe even trying to find your hope in a lot of other places and I'm telling you this this is the answer Jesus is the answer. And so there's nothing, I often say this, there's nothing so special about this moment except that it is a moment away from the busyness for you to consider this, for you to actually stop and think. And very simply, I would love to pray with you. Um, pray for you. 
So if that's you this morning, with every head bowed and eye closed, just for privacy so you can make this decision yourself, if that's you, would you just raise a hand so I can pray with you here? I'm not going to point you out or anything like that. Yeah, let's pray. Jesus, I thank you for anyone making this decision here today. I thank you that you came, Jesus, you died, you rose again, and that you bring us hope for a future both here and for eternity. We thank you for that. We believe it. We ascribe to it. In your name, amen. Now we're just going to take a minute. You can close your eyes again. Just allow yourself to not be worried about everybody around you. But if you just know, like, hey, like, I need... I need a, a, a fresh filling. And it doesn't, you know, emotions are not bad. Change and emotion go together. And it's not to just elicit a bit. Maybe you're not an emotional person. That's okay. It doesn't have to be emotional. But if you just know in yourself, hey, I need the power of the Holy Spirit. If I'm going to do this, or I'm going to take responsibility that no one else is coming, and I need to step up and actually step out and do this, and I need to do it sustainably, or I need to do it at another level, you're going to need the Holy Spirit in you to do that. And so I just want to pray for that today. And then we're going to go and we're going to worship. We're going to take the example of the early church. We're going to ask for boldness. We're going to ask for the Holy Spirit to come. We're going to ascribe to God his worth and who he is. And we are going to go out of here filled and full of action as we leave this place. So if that's you, would you just raise a hand up? Say, I, I need to receive. I need a filling again. And Jesus, we just pray, Holy Spirit, that you would come. Lord, we repent of the sin that so easily entangles us. We throw it off this morning and we focus on you. God, you are so good. You are so powerful. You are in control. We don't have to worry. You're going to take care of our circumstances. But today, Lord, we pray for boldness in this place. Lord, for, for boldness through the power of you, Holy Spirit. Would you come? Would you fill us? Would you work through us and give us opportunity this week, tangible opportunities, Holy Spirit? Would you prompt us in conversations, relationships, text sent, uh, situations that we find ourselves in? Holy Spirit, would you work through us? In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's worship, church. Thanks again for listening to our Sunday podcast. To hear more messages like these, be sure to share and subscribe. We're thankful for all that God is doing in our church right now. We would love to have you be a part of what is going on. You can connect with us by filling out a connect card online at slatechurch.com. And hey, stay tuned for more content coming soon.